Hi, this is Braden Holpe. Hey, this is Tanner the Bulldozer Bozer. Hi, this is Brian Burke from Toronto, Ontario. This is Daryl Sutter. Hello, everyone. I'm Carly Agro from Sportsnet Central. This is Jay Onright. This is Quick Dick Quick Dick coming to you from Tufnell, Saskatchewan. Hey, everybody. My name is Steel Fleury. This is Kelly Rudy. This is Corey Cross. This is Wade Redden. This is Jordan Tutu. My name is Jim Patterson. Hey, it's Ron McLean, Hockey Net in Canada and Rogers Hometown Hockey, and welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Hope you're having a great Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada. Uh, before we get to today's guest, which he is an absolute uh, beauty, let's get on to today's episode sponsors. Foremost, they offer the smooth wall grain bins, hopper bottoms, and fuel tanks. They're in stock and manufactured locally. They want to ensure that you know they are constructed of the highest quality and engineered for a long life. Delivery is free within 300 kilometers of Lloydminster. You can buy at any of their co-op locations, Lloydminster, Lashburn, or Neilberg. For more information, you can check them out at their website, foremost.ca. Here's a new one. I'm teaming up again with the Lloydminster Regional Health Foundation for giving Tuesday uh, the Radiothon. Uh, this year is on December 15th to help raise money for our hospital. Now, last year... We're going to run the same format, essentially 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., a 12-hour radiothon on Facebook live stream where we sit down with different people from the community to share stories about the hospital and why it's so vital to our community. Last year, uh, with the support of all you guys, we raised $50,000. It was pretty cool uh, for a new Pixis automated pill dispensing machine, uh, which was also very cool. I uh, got to see it up firsthand, uh, or up close firsthand. Uh, this year, they're looking to exceed that goal with money uh, going towards a bunch of things that have obviously come up since COVID, uh, new defibrillators, lab equipment, um, Canadian Mental Health Association uh, expansion, and professional development with re respiratory therapists. Obviously, uh, the last two, the mental health aspect, and then the respiratory therapist, that's become very uh, prevalent here with uh, what's going on with the COVID-19 and locking everything down it's put more uh focus on well a bigger impact on the mental health side of things and they want to really be able to be a leader on that side and then the respiratory therapists i mean i don't know i don't understand at all but uh they are definitely put into uh um a, a very key role and any help we can give them uh is much appreciated so be on the lookout december 15th 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Facebook Live, Facebook Live, Facebook Live, uh, and and once again trying to raise money for the Lloydminster Hospital. That's teaming up with the Lloydminster Regional Health Foundation. There will be more details as we move along here on how we can get involved, how you can donate, all that good stuff. HSI Group nominated for Small Business of the Year. They are the local oil field burners and combustion experts that help can help make sure you have a compliant system working for you. The team also offers security, surveillance, and surveillance. Oh, man, this is going to be how it is today, folks. This is how it is, Monday. You'd think I have a couple uh, cocktails from Thanksgiving in me, but I'm just, that isn't even the truth. I haven't even gotten to Thanksgiving yet. I'm working on it. Let's try this again. HSI Group, nominated for Small Business of the Year. They're the local oil field burners and combustion experts that can help make sure you have a compliant system working for you. The team also offers security and surveillance and automation for products, uh, residential, commercial, livestock, and agricultural applications. I always use the, you know, you want your house safe, talk to these guys. They got the cameras, all the setup, but that goes for commercial too. Maybe you got a site you want to monitor and don't, you know, don't want to be there physically all the time. Now you put a camera up, boom, you can check it from everywhere. Commercial, 
once again, livestock. We all know uh, cattle or maybe sheep. Maybe, maybe you got buffalo, whatever it is. These guys can help. They can set up a, a system so you can monitor it from uh, the warmth of your home. And let me tell you, this morning is a kind of a nasty morning where you'd like to be sitting inside. They use technology to give you peace of mind so you can focus on the things that truly matter. Stop in today and see Brody and Kim or Kim at 3902 52nd Street or give them a call 306-825-6310. Clint and the team over at Trophy Gallery. They got everything. Championship belts, custom medals, die-cast signage, name tags, engraving on Yetis and Brewmates, business awards, uh, crystal in crystal and glass, uh, sports memorabilia. If you're if you're a sports guy, I talked last week about the kick-ass Sidney Crosby jersey they got, like it, like sharp. But then they also got uh, how about Cassian and Kachuk? I know all the Oilers fans out here, old Cassian laying the beat down on Kachuk. That's a sharp one. They ship Canada-wide. TrophyGallery.ca. They got over five thousand products online. Use Newman as your promo code and get 15% off any sport, anytime, from bodybuilding to hockey. These guys got it. Clay Smiley over at Profit River. Profit River is a retailer of firearms, optics, and accessories serving all of Canada. They specialize in importing firearms from the United States, hard-to-find calibers, rare firearms, special editions. Check them out today, ProfitRiver.com. Gartner Management is a Lloyd Minster-based company specializing in all types of rental properties to help meet your needs, whether you're looking for a small office space or 6,000-square-foot commercial space. Give away to call 780-808-5025. Shout-out to Read and Write and Deanna Wandler over at uh, for the SMP uh, billboard across from the UFA. Looking superb. Was just uh, talking with a guy the other day. He was mentioning how sharp it looked. It does look pretty damn sharp. If you're heading into any of these businesses, and I know COVID and restrictions, I've heard it, but if you somehow sneak into one of these businesses or you see them out on the street, make sure you let them know you heard about them on the podcast. And if you're interested in advertising on the show, visit SeanNewmanPodcast.com, top right corner, hit the contact button, send me some information about uh, what you're looking for, and uh, we'll see what we can do. All right? Got lots of options that can work for the both of us. Now let's get on to your T-Bar 1 tale of the tape. Originally from Cambridge, Ontario, he worked for The Score from 2005 to 2010 and brought you a sketch called Cabbie on the Street. From 2011 to 2019, he worked for TSN bringing you Cabbie Presents. These were three to five minute long sketches where he sat down with people like Mike Tyson, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dana White, Aaron Rodgers, Will Smith, Will Ferrell, Kevin Hart. That's just to name a few. His style of interviewing superstars is very unique, employing such tactics as close proximity, hugs, and very obscure questions that equate to exceptional television. Currently, he works for Bleacher Report on the BR Betting Show. I'm talking about the one and only Cabral Cabby Richards. So buckle up. Here we go. This is Cabby Richards, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast, baby. You're in the right place. Well, welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by Mr. Cabrell Richards. Everybody knows you as Cabby, so thanks for hopping on, man. I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you extending the invite and having me. Thank you. Um, you know, 
I think most people know, uh, we were just talking about this. I think most people know a good chunk of your story, but, uh, what makes you so cool is your uniqueness. Like you're just, you're not, uh, you're not the standard reporter who stands there and, you know, uh, so I'm always interested in like, man, you must've been stressed going outside the box and that stress right off the hop must've been as it, as exciting as it was, Cabby, I'm sure it was like, uh, am I making the right choice? Or maybe not. Maybe you can shed some light on that. Not, not in the beginning. It got more stressful as I, was, I became more established. And then there was an expectation from either from myself or from the network or from the audience. But at the beginning, I was just trying to be different. And I was just trying to be myself. I guess it was stressful in approaching strangers. Because I started in 2001 and there weren't very many, like a quote unquote man on the street segment, that format had existed in television. And uh, um, uh, Rick Mercer was excellent at it. I, I can't remember if he was on Royal Canadian Air Force or This Hour Has 22 Minutes. 22 he did minutes. A segment called, was it 22 minutes? Okay. And he did a segment called Talking to Americans. Now, I'm not exactly sure when that started, but uh mainstream canada or canadian television knew of uh you know streeter segments and i was on this upstart called the squad at the time was called headline sports and here i was this chubby 23 year old you know all of walking around the city of toronto just approaching strangers to ask them stupid sports questions about stats or mascots or you know um fight songs or uniforms like I don't even remember some and then like I would just challenge people to push-ups or playing street hockey in busy intersections um there were a bunch of like dumb things I went to like I went tailgating in uh in New England um we went to my man D when he joined the crew we went like we went to a Montreal Expos game and we watched the Florida Marlins versus the Expos and I was I didn't know that you weren't really allowed to talk to the players before the game, but I played catch with Brad Penny. I was like, yo, do you want to throw the ball around? He's like, okay. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I'm throwing the ball around with a, a guy who would the following season be a critical piece to a world championship team in the Florida Marlins. Um, but I just didn't know any better. So it wasn't as stressful in the beginning, but approaching strangers was tough because you get a lot of rejection and that's, that's, you kind of build up an armor. So for every 10 people that would appear in one of these cabbie on the street segments, I would probably get 30 or 40 no's. If I was batting anywhere between 200 and 250. So to get up to eight to 10 people was like, oh, I felt relief. And then it was like, all right, I got to go cut this thing. And that's going to take a full day to edit it down to, you know, a three or four minute piece. But as you get more popular, certainly you weren't batting only 250. Like I'm, I'm assuming as it, it progresses, it's you got to start batting way higher average, right? Like, or, uh, or is that just a is that just a fan watching it and assuming that? No, no, no. Uh, well, I mean, the average. I mean, it did increase because as I built more of a reputation for myself, and I, I had like some athletes had more familiarity. But for a long time, got a lot of no's. Like, even you know, even in my final week at TSN, we, I ended it with five NFL interviews leading into the 2019 season. So I had Patrick Mahomes, Michael Thomas, Joey Bosa, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, and the great Aaron Rodgers. But we got a lot of, you know, 
we would ask for like, for instance, Tom Brady, zero. I, we asked for Tom Brady once a year, zero. I don't even know if we got a response from Stacy James, who was the PR director for the New England Patriots for about 20 years. And, um, and maybe just because Tom didn't want to do anything outside of, he, had a, he has a great relationship with, um, oh my gosh, who's the, who's the gentleman that did the LeBron decision interview? Oh, I can. Oh, um, I, I'm not going to be able to spit that out. I know who you're talking about. Balding, um, you know, older gentleman. Oh my gosh, I could see his face. And then during the 1999 World Series, he like he kind of ambushed Pete Rose at the MLB All Star Game. So then the Yankees, when they're in the World Series, they refused to. Speak. Jim Gray. Jim there you Gray. go. So you beat me. Tom, Tom Brady had a, has a great relationship with Jim Gray, and he would appear on his radio show. But um, you know, Cam Newton was another. As I think about New England, Cam Newton was another athlete. We never, Russell Westbrook never got, and these are guys we would ask for once, once or twice a year. And we're like, Hey, we'll fly there on a, and you know, appear on an off day. So the, some of the secret sauce for my interviews is I would always go on an, on a practice day on an off day. Cause guys would be in better moods. It was taking a risk trying to interview an athlete on a game day and certainly didn't want to wait till after a game to interview someone. But one time I interviewed Peter Forsberg, maybe actually the only time I interviewed him. And I went for the morning skate. He's like, Hey, can we do it after the game? I was like, uh, okay, cool, man. But I just know it was, it was such a roll of the dice because if they lose, the guys are going to be in a bad mood. And for me, I need the players to be at optimal happiness, optimal playfulness. Cause if not, it's going to be a bad, it's going to be a short interview and it's going to be bad. And I've had many of those, but so this Forsberg, uh, flyer this is what he was with the flyers flyers are playing in carolina and they lost eight six like 14 goals in a hockey game is not normal but i think he had a hat trick so even though his team lost he played well and he still gave me the interview afterwards and i think we ate pizza because in you know this is in 2006 or 2007 the nutrition wasn't what it what it is now now guys are getting protein shakes and recovery shakes and you know, that kind of, then it was just two large cheese pizzas or four large cheese pizzas in the dressing room. Guys just crush it, you know, just carb load right after because they just burned 2,000 calories skating around for 24 minutes. And, uh, and yeah, so, but I got lucky with that one. But generally, off days is where I go do my damage. You know, do you remember who the first, you know, uh, hey, I got to, so I'm married to an American, married to a girl from Minnesota. Okay. She'd never heard of you before, which, probably fair you're you're yeah. you're a big icon in canada and we know that doesn't exactly translate also, all the time i don't have that many uh there aren't that very many women viewers of the score i mean there were some fair but it wasn't it I, wasn't like home and garden tv <laughs> you know we're like the opposite of home and garden i showed her your stuff though and she was like in stitches man like laughing because it's it's that good right but i was saying to her i'm like can you imagine the first time uh being cabbie and and uh going up to some professional athlete and just trying to like just hey hey man like just like leaning in like yes. who do you remember who that was the very first one was um i think it was wade belak god rest his soul okay. it was it was a, on a day it was like i got wade belak i believe darcy tucker and i think brian mccabe so this is i want to say oh two and um, Wade was just big smile. He was um, very friendly. I mean, he, 
you hear that about enforcers. They're like the nicest guys, but have the hardest jobs because they got to go from zero to 100 in the snap of a finger. Um, and then uh, I think it was the next day I had combined, I think I was doing something on pregame meals, which, you know, in my 23-year-old brain, I'm like, this is a great question, you know. <laughs> and, and, I, and at that time, people weren't, I don't think a lot of people were asking athletes things about them as human beings, as like regular dudes. It was always about the game or whatnot. And I was like, let me find out about you just to see if we have something in common and we can find a common ground. So the audience can be like, oh, this guy uses ha 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 as well. Like in his text, not, I mean, text messages now, not in 2002. Um, I, you know, this guy has a PlayStation 2 also, or, you know, this guy does franchise mode or whatever. Okay. So, um, so that on the Raptors side, it was uh, Morris Peterson and who else was it in 2002? I think Jerome Williams, JYD, and both guys were awesome to me. JYD was like built for doing stuff on camera and Mo P was just super chill. Mo P was like two years removed from winning a national championship at Michigan State. Good looking kid, lefty, shot the three. Anyway, so I think those were, those were the first five and I believe it was in the same episode if not like it was back-to-back episodes where i got got a press pass oh i could go to the practice and there was there was a lot of side eye sean like a lot of dudes were just like what the hell's going on like who is this guy because i was in there baseball cap t-shirt baggy jeans sneakers sometimes the baseball cap was backwards i dressed the way i dressed going to the mall or going to school like it wasn't I, there wasn't much professional about me except for my affiliation, which was the score. And like the, and the cameraman was a year older than I was because Brian and I, you know, I finished school in 99. He finished in 2000 and then he had a camera and I had a big mouth and then boom, away we went. So it was, uh, it was quite a guerrilla operation, two dudes. And then my man D joined. So it was three of us for many, many years, just the three of us. Did you get shut down when you leaned in the first time though? Like what, what? Like, oh, no, 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 no. First time, no. Cause I always wanted to make the guy feel like we were friends and that, right. and I didn't, I wasn't afraid of them. I was like, when I first stepped in the room, it was daunt. It was like, Whoa, I'm in the, the Leafs dressing room uh, or the Raptors dressing room. Like these are professional athletes and everybody is so tall. But um, uh, I think because I looked different and I, acted differently and I wasn't afraid of them and I wasn't there with an agenda I wasn't there like oh so you had your seventh concussion or you took you got your bell rung in the third period how are you feeling none of that stuff it was like you know what video games are you playing right now and if someone said NBA Street or SSX or Grand Theft Auto I'd be like oh you're just like me and that was a connection point so I was looking for those connection points so um who, uh, oh, the most memorable first person that, um, <laughs> that was taken aback by my style or was, was like weirded out by it was Mario Lemieux. I was on a golf course. It was like a Bell celebrity golf course. Mario Lemieux was golfing with Ty Dome. And I tried to put my arm around Mario Lemieux. And then he like pretended that he was going to punch me. Oh no, that was Ty Dome. But, um, Lemieux just, he was like, like he had no, like I was like, it felt like I was ambushing him and maybe I did for all intents and purposes, asking him something stupid. I, I don't even, I don't know if it was about entourages. 
I can't even remember, but Mario like pantomimed like he was going to punch me. And then like Ty Domi and his giant head was right beside me. And he's like, uh, how'd that go? And I was like, not good, not good. So, I mean, it, and like, it's not as though I could be like, you know, get away from me, Ty Domi, or like bleep you. Cause then this is Ty Domi who could like scare the soul out of my body with also with like a fake left. Cause he was a, a Southpaw or legit knock the soul out of my body with a real left hook. So uh, that was, that wasn't the best day, but it made for a great moment on TV. You know, I've heard you mention a couple times ambushing um, some very notable figures and you've taken your shot to, 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 you know, try and get uh, that clip. Uh, and, you know, Mario spe- uh, hops out. The other guy who hops out is when you're on the golf course uh, talking to Michael Jordan and you mu- hug Michael Jordan. I mean, yeah. A, it's Michael Jordan. Yes. Right? So I, I can't imagine the... Uh, well, you probably climb the CN Tower after that because, I mean, it's Michael Jordan. But two, like, to have the balls to do that. Like, lead me through the story of Michael Jordan. So that, that, uh, that time I was afraid. That's because I revered Michael. And not to say I, I didn't revere some of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Michael was like a global icon. Michael, Michael Jordan Michael. is on – love the Leafs. Right? I, I love hockey. Michael Jordan, how many people are in that realm? Very few. He's on the Mount Rushmore of like greatest or, or, or greatest champions ever. He's on ever. The Mount Rushmore. Ever. Yeah. Like just go for any listener who still hasn't watched the last dance, just go watch that again and go, Oh man. Yeah. Right. The guy is <laughs> like legit. So, um, we were, we were driving and like, so we went from the score, which was downtown Toronto to a golf course in Oakville for Mike Weir's celebrity golf tournament. And we got like, I, as we were driving, my man D gets a phone call. He's like, uh-huh. All right. Okay. Okay. Boom. And they're like, yeah. Uh, he's like, he turns to the back. He's like, uh, they said that Michael Jordan's not doing any interviews. So we were ready on the highway. We were just going to go and figure it out. And we had sort of, this is 2009. So we sort of developed this, um, this, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not a skill. Uh, I guess a process. That's not the that's Like not a the routine? Word. A routine. Yeah, a routine is probably the best word. We developed a routine where... Dave would kind of play defense. So he would talk to, he would have small talk with the PR person or like somebody else, but just to give me some time. Divide and conquer. Yeah, yeah, divide and conquer. But on the golf course, there were no PR people. It was just the golfers and then like the marshals. But we would wait. So that was like part of the strategy. We're just waiting. Let everybody else get their sound bites. And if, they're, if the athlete is just kind of hanging around afterwards, then I can approach. And then they're like, no one else needs time from this athlete, so I can have a few more minutes if they're willing to give it to me. Now, in the case of Michael Jordan, he wasn't talking to anybody. But uh, so when I showed up and then, you know, we asked like one of the guys in the course, like, hey, where's the best spot to like get an interview? Like, what's the best hole? And the, the person was like, hole number one is probably the best place to get him. Because the, the media was told when they're getting interviews to go to like hole 14 
or 17. So we're like, we want to be away from the general media so we won't get bothered and we wouldn't have to compete for the athlete's time. Jordan was golfing with Kevin Costner and I can't remember the other pair, but they were, you know, people there to see Michael. So we went to hole number one and there's a huge gallery. So then you could feel the energy change because Michael was approaching. And then like this wave of people was approaching the first hole before we could see him. Just like all these more people showed up like, oh my gosh, it's happening. And then my, my chest was like pounding in, sorry, my heart was pounding in my chest. And there's one other camera, there's one other reporter from Global. So then Michael shows up. And then it's just like, it's kind of awkward. Like we're there to try to get an interview. And then, but you just kind of have to feel out the right time to approach the person, because when you if you approach them when they're having a conversation, it pisses them off. And I've made that mistake many times. You have to, it's almost like double dutch. You have to pick your spot to when you want to jump in and then have this 45 second sprint and you know, in conversation and then jump out of the double dutch and then keep moving. So so then we, we both approached Michael. Hey Mike, uh, you know, Michael, uh, would it be possible to ask you a couple of questions? So then MJ's like, well, I'm only gonna answer one of your one of your questions. And I was like, oh, okay. So I pointed to the guy from Global. I was like, hey, man, well, you, you go ahead, man. You can, um, you can ask your questions. Because I knew he was, he was there and he probably he had to get some sound bites for like the six o'clock news or something. So he gets a couple of questions. And then the other, the other pair in the foursome, they were teeing up. So there was extra time. And also it's MJ. So if MJ was going to hold up the whole caravan, the whole foursome, he's going to hold them up. So then... Uh, and I was like, well, uh, Michael, I brought you a card and I didn't have my mic extended. I don't think. So I go into my back pocket and I, I bought this card at shoppers drug mart and it just had like the AOK symbol on it. And then I just thought that would be a funny card to give to Michael Jordan, who's one of the greatest champions in sports. But like on the inside of the card, the, the caption read, you're AO, you're okay in my books. So I give him the card and he's kind of, he goes, I don't know what's in here. I'm like, no, no, it's just a, it's just a thank you card. I'm like, go ahead and open it. So he's struggling to open it because it was in my back pocket. And from the drive from Toronto to Oakville was about 45 minutes. And then it was in, it was in like September. So it was still hot out. Plus I'm fat. So my bum had curved the card in my back pocket. So it looked like a half moon. It just looked like it had gone through something. So when he's trying to open it, like the, the envelope is wet and he, and he's kind of, and he's sort of struggling to finally he opens it and then he reads the inside and he doesn't say anything. We're on a golf course, golf course. It is quiet. So everybody's just waiting for a reaction. So then, uh, and then I just turn to the audience cause this is the moment I'm like, oh, I just gave him a thank you card. And I just said, uh, uh, thank you for being awesome because he's awesome. Right. And then that's, you know, people applauded. And then I wrote, so I'm, I'm projecting my voice so that a thousand people came in. And then I wrote, uh, thank you for making fat kids believe that they could fly for 0.5 seconds. And I got a laugh and that felt awesome. And then, uh, and then I just turned to him and I said, and also I just want to give you one of these. And then I just, like I embraced him and I just hugged him where I could feel his heartbeat on my ear because he's 6'6 six, six and I'm six feet tall. So it's full, a grown man is pressing on his chest and then he can feel the warmth of my body and my fandom transfer into his torso while I'm gripping him like a grizzly bear 
uh, gripping the side of a tree, the side of a, a friggin' Douglas fir, 400 feet in the air, like I wasn't letting go of the man. So um, he, he peeled me off with his elbow after like seven seconds. And similarly, I once hugged Gordy Howe like that. Gordy Howe immediately, it's like he had his elbow ready to pry me off before I even started to embrace the man. It's like he was, he was like locked and loaded to throw an elbow because that's what he'd been doing for 50 years of playing professional hockey. So it was an incredible moment for me and I was afraid, but I, but I went there to interview Michael Jordan. And as we spoke earlier, there was an expectation once I left the station that I was gonna get Michael Jordan. So I had to just take my shot and thank God I got it. A cool story. You have a way with, uh, well, you're, you're an entertainer is what you are. You have a way of telling a story. Your word choice is fantastic. It's just like, I, I'm reminded as we sit here and talk, why I enjoyed watching you on the score back in the day and why cabbie presents is, is so cool. And everything that you seem to touch is really good. My question then is, uh, I highly doubt you just, maybe you've always been like that cabbie and maybe that's exactly what you're about to say, but uh, I know, uh, Growing up, you wanted to be an actor. So yes. did you watch, who was, the, who was the guy that you watched? And you said, man, if I could just be like, if I could be just a little bit like that. And then, I, I, is that where it know, comes from? I think so. And I don't know if it was so uh, consciously that. I, um, no, I think it was. So it was, it, there were like three, three guys. There was Jim Carrey on In Living Color, this, the famous sketch comedy show on Fox. Then it was Will Smith from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and it was Martin Lawrence and he had a show on Fox called Martin. And it was a combination of those three guys because all their characters were bigger than life. They were very animated. And I know that I borrowed from all three of them in my cadence, in my impressions, uh, certainly ripping off their facial expressions, you know, the way that they punctuate jokes, Pratt falls, just stupid 14 year old, 15 year old humor. So there's, you know, fart jokes and all that kind of nonsense that we would do as, as kids was, I was absorbing a lot of their, their comedic sensibilities and trying to form some of my own. Um, and like, I was a pretty gregarious, gregarious student at school. And, um, you know, I, we would sometimes play fight or, we would be, you know, someone might brush up against me and I'd throw myself into the lockers just to get it, just to get a reaction and then pretend to cry or whatever. Like just do, basically I was a, I was a giant attention hog and always was always disrupting the class because I wanted, I wanted to make girls laugh. Basically, you know, for a lot of, I can say, I don't know what the number is, but I'm sure in the formative years for several if not hundreds or thousands of young male musicians getting the attention from girls or adulation or validation from girls was a huge motivator athletes too you know i and i am not i'm not saying nigel did this but when i used to go to track meets and i'm listen i've always been a fat guy my whole life so while Nigel was moving around the track like a gazelle and all the track leads, they had that, the way that they were warming up, you know, they had like this bounce to them and they would go like the four guys on the four by one would be like in unison. Like in the way that people would, the, the, the great hurdlers, like they take four steps, hurdle, four steps, hurdle, like, and they were 
there would be prancing around the infield of some school we went to for a track meet. And they were there, they were the, um, the uh, not the gazelles, but they were the peacocks. And here I am, uh, a friggin' walrus throwing around a 12 pound ball of iron in the shot put. Hey, I do shot put. Nigel's out there. And I'm just like throwing a, a, a discus, a 14 pound discus or a javelin. Not very well, by the way, but I just want to be on the team and I want to meet some girls too. Nigel was an expert at it. So are many of those track leads. Uh, all I'm saying is get when you're, when you're young and impressionable and, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, when you have a batting average of like 75 uh, in high school, you know, when you get an attention, get the attention or a laugh from a girl, you're like, oh, that euphoria, that dopamine hit back in the day was the equivalent of somebody liking your photo on Instagram or liking eight in a row. You're like, whoa, you just see the same name as you scroll up like this is amazing. So I'm sure that informed some of the way I behaved in school. And then I, I was one of the few kids that was doing like I was a a uh, high school jock. Like I played football and baseball again, not very well, but then I did plays and we wrote sketch, like we did videos for the school assembly. So there was like athlete side. And then there was like the performance side. So I've, I found, I suppose later in life, when I got to the score, I got to dabble in sports and also be some kind of a performer. So it, it worked out. Oh, you're definitely a performer. I mean, no doubt in my mind. You, you, everything you do in your sketches, even the way you interview is a performance, right? Most, I, I would argue most interviewers, um, unless you're Will Ferrell, right? When he gets going, sit, ask the question, back and forth, they're not, you know, and you make it a presentation. Like just the way you go about it elicits, like it just makes you want to smile while you're watching it. Like, what is this guy doing? Like, this Thanks. is pretty good. Jer Jerry D was great at Jerry it D's another completely different energies. We it was like 180. Like Jerry was very straight and really dry. And he was always his character, the sports reporter, was always the star of the interview. Uh, <laughs> and I tried to be I try I, I wanted to make sure the athlete was the star, but also try to get a few moments in as well but we but jerry was great at interviewing too because he would sometimes make people feel uncomfortable about like where they stood or you know he had they had to get closer to the microphone or they're in his lighting he would just make up some kind of some technical issue in order for uh in order to generate a little bit of awkwardness and then he was also he was always like i'm better at hockey than you or I'm better at golf than you he was always his character was always better than the athlete that he was interviewing so um, the fact that we, we, uh, well, I mean, I started a little bit earlier than Jerry, but we were both at the score at the same time, giving the audience two different perspectives on athletes was like a great time in the scores history. You know, speaking of Jerry and yourself for that matter, do you put on a persona then when you go on to those, or is that you, are you that way at all times or are you playing a part? Does that make sense? I'm just amplifying my personality, you can't be like, I can't be like that all the time. Cause I, it just, I'm already obnoxious, you know, in the, in the few moments that someone would experience me, but I can't be at like 12 the whole time. Cause I would just, I would need to sleep for four out of seven days. Cause that just takes a lot of energy. So I pick my spots. And then also it depends on the environment. Like 
I'll try to give you an example. Um, I know that if I'm in a baseball clubhouse, they're very quiet. And if I'm in like, um, let's see, I was in the Dodgers clubhouse once and I was interviewing Matt Kemp and I was asking him about his baseball hat and how often he changes his hat because you get like that salty sweat around the band and plus oh, baseball's yeah. a summer sport. Um, but I like, I would sort, I would tone it down because a it was like, I'm it's the first time I'm in the Dodgers clubhouse. People don't know me. I don't want to get thrown out. So I had to sort of pick my spots, but if I'm somewhere where I feel really comfortable, like if it's, you know, my home court, so it's Leafs dressing room, Raptors dressing room, Jay's clubhouse, or the field at the Skydome, then, you know, I feel I can, I can crank it up. And if I'm in an environment where there's a lot of space, I want to use a lot of that space. Um, there was a time when I interviewed JJ Watt and we were in like this auxiliary dressing room. So it was like just a generic football locker room. So just JJ Watt, myself, camera guy. So it was a camera guy, my man D, myself, three of us, JJ Watt and the PR director for the Houston Texans. And because we're in an empty room, I was like, all right, I'll get, I can like turn it up a little bit. And it's my first time meeting JJ Watts. I want to make an impression, a good one. And I also brought props. I brought, I brought him like a flip phone from like 2001. And I brought him like this, like the JJ Watt, like first aid kit, which he can give to other players when he knocks them out. There was like sunglasses and Advil and he appreciated. And we put like a, like we had like a label on the, I think it was, I think it was just like a, a seven-year-old like lunchbox that we bought from Walmart and we just put like a sticker on or whatever. But athletes appreciate when you think out of the box and you give them custom things. Um, so in that time, I could perform a little bit. And then the next time I interviewed JJ Watt, um, I think it was at the S, the next time I interviewed him in Houston, we were in this like closet, bro. It was like, it was like, again, it was an like, auxiliary, like, um, I was gonna say a BP room, like um, kind of a junk room. So we had to make like this makeshift backdrop and clear out some chairs and some equipment <laughs> and, but i was so familiar with them then i could perform a little bit bigger because this is like the second time so whatever we did in this the second time would have to be bigger than the first time and then the third time when i went to interview jj watt it was on a baseball field and he was having a charity softball game and i we went to a walmart in houston texas texas to find the biggest nerf like gun it was, it probably weighed 30 pounds. And I just, and I, I had put on the Jersey of every opponent that he was, that he was going to face in that 17 or 16, 17 week schedule, 16 week, 16 opponents. And I got him to shoot me. I was like, where are you going to cause the most damage? So he shoot me in my face, shoot me in my shoulder, shoot me in my stomach for each guy that I, you know, I'd, I'd take off a Jersey. And then it was the Bengals quarterback to remove another Jersey. Then it was the Dolphins, remove another Jersey. Then it was Baltimore, et cetera, et cetera. So there are times when, um, uh, when I, you know, another one was uh, the Detroit Red Wings. So like, so this is one of the original six hockey teams, as you know, they're a, they're a prestigious club. So this is in like the uh, 08, 09, 2010 era, you know, 08 and 09, they both, both years they went to the cup final, they won in 08, lost in 09. But I went so many times that like everybody was familiar with me, but I still didn't want to mess around too much there because I felt like the PR guy was, I think his name was John Hahn. 
and he was like 48. He was like a no nonsense kind of a guy. So I didn't really want to be too big in that room as far as the energy that I brought. Cause I always, I wanted to get access. I wanted to main, uh, to preserve my access to the players. Cause Sean, that's the hardest thing is once you get your access cut off, you're like, uh, it feels like a death sentence. And sometimes getting the access is so hard. Um, have you had, interviewed? Have you had right. your access cut then? Not in Detroit. No, no, no. Um, but you have had it cut before in a place. Yes, um, I've had my access limited to Sid, to um, to Crosby. Yeah. To I couldn't. I've never interviewed Austin Matthews, and I'm from Toronto, and I and I worked in Toronto from the moment he was he was drafted by the club. Why to now? And I so the PR staff was very cautious with who they would let Austin and Mitchie speak to in the rookie season. And apparently, that directive came down from Lou Lamarillo who's an old school dude and wasn't about the fun and games was just about business, get the pucks in deep, just traditional hockey and everything other than like a post game interview was seen as a distraction. I suppose uh, the way from what I was told in Lou Lemorello's eyes. So I didn't get access, but so I had this one, I sort of circumvented, I didn't sort of, I did circumvent the PR guys. Once you I got in a lot of trouble. Circumvent? No. The, uh, the old reach around. Um, <laughs> I took that from uh, Arrested, Arrested Development. So I wrote this bit uh, called the Serial Series. And it was going to, it was like, we were going to po- uh, post these Instagram videos around the March Madness tournament, which is the greatest tournament in sports. March Madness or the World Cup, it's 1A, 1B. So I said to JVR, James Van Riemsdyk, I was like, yo, JVR, I wrote this bit and I want you to want you and Mo Morgan Riley to bring the young bucks and let's, would you mind if we just shot it at your condo? He's like, all right, cool. He's like, what's the bit? I'm like, it's just, you guys are drafting cereals and you're, there's, they're going to be in a bracket and the, the games are going to be reflected by your actual games that you play. So if you draft Captain Crunch with the one seed, and Austin Matthews drafts Cinnamon Toast Crunch with the eighth seed. You know, uh, on February the 2nd, if you guys play the Philadelphia Flyers and uh, in the standings, you're the higher seed, then you with the Captain Crunch at the one, if you guys win, then the Captain Crunch advances. It sounds more complicated than it actually was. So we shot the draft special. And unfortunately, Mitch Marner was injured, so he couldn't come over to uh, – JVR's condo. So it was JVR, Morgan Riley, Austin Matthews. So we shot, yeah, we shot the draft and we shot the first four matchups. And then we shot the next two or three matchups, like a previous day when Mitch could come over. And then we're going to do one final uh, day of shooting where we get to the championship. So we post the first three. And then my man D gets an email from the, the director of uh, communications for the Toronto Maple Leafs, the guy named Steve Keogh. And the, the subject line of the email, all caps, was serial series. 
exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation Like he was pissed. And we could feel the heat reading off our screens when this email popped up. Like, oh, like the font, it felt like the font was a 72 point in bold. Like that's, that's the energy that we felt. So we had to go have a meeting, got in a lot of trouble, had to take the clips down. And uh, we were just like, well, we didn't like, this is just, our defense was, look, I have a relationship with these guys. We were doing something fun. It wasn't hockey related. It was benign. We're talking about cereal. Like, basically, why is this a problem? But, you know, I, we operate under the principle, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask yeah. for permission. Because so many times we've just had no, just been denied things. So we just... If we can go around it and then ask for forgiveness, forgiveness later, then that's what we're going to do. So that's what we did. Eventually, we were forgiven. We were forgiven, excuse me, but we still didn't get access to Mitchie or Austin. So my entire, I don't really have an on-camera relationship with those guys. I mean, we can text each other and, and DM each other, but as far as like doing interviews, I never got to interview those dudes. And I, I, I wrote this bit. Oh, my gosh. I wrote this bit for Mitch. And we had this cartoonist draw like the team plane. I hit up like JVR and I hit up Tyler Bozak. I'm like, where do you guys, who plays cards on the plane? Where do they play cards on the plane? Who's losing the most money? Who sits where? Where does Freddie sit? And we had this artist from uh, Hong Kong draw this 90 second, um, 90 second cartoon. And then at the end, like Mitchie's gaming or Mitchie is gaming with, uh, uh, Pat Marlowe and then like Sundina. There's like this twist ending. And then like Mitchie's agent got mad at us because we didn't clear it with him. And we're like, what are you talking about? Like, we have to clear it with you. Like, so I've been scarred a couple of times because that one we really like DK and I wrote that in a couple of days. Like, all right, this is going to work. And then it took the animator like three weeks. We had to pay the guy like 10 grand to animate it. And then when we dropped it, Boom. It's like all these, this email chain just kept growing and, and it just kept getting elevated to different people. So we had to like take it down. And I was so mad. Like some of those things, man, where, you know, people don't really care how, how hard it is to get some of these interviews and to come up with ideas. They just want to see the new thing. So I don't really spend a lot of time wallowing in self-pity or like being angry, but that one really burned me. That one's that one burned me for a long time. And Mitchie was cool about it because it wasn't him. I think he liked the piece when I sent it to him, like, yo, have a look. But it's just like the people around him and then the team and the network and yeah. That's tough, man. That that uh that's <laughs> it's funny because as, as viewers, you know, and just being a viewer watching what you do, there's no like ill intent on any of your stuff. So it's like hard to think that that would ever be shut down, right? Like it's, you'd think you'd want your superstars to show that side of themselves and like to interact and like, Hey, the kid's human. It's okay. It's okay to have a laugh and like to make poke fun at one another and, and to be like that. It's crazy to think that, nope, that's locked down and not happening, especially yeah. the guy of where, where you were at in your career. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. You know, hockey culture, is changing slowly but it was the most repressive of the four major sports as far as repressing the personalities and like everybody just being sort of this homogenous uniform kind of 
bland. We just want to go out and play the game we love. And that's kind of it. Some guys, some guys were more aware or some guys made uh, longer strides to separate themselves personality wise. And you can see their personalities on the ice. Like when people score, it's euphoric. Uh, Ovechkin will jump into the boards. You know, guys will, you know, slide across the ice and, you know, they'll slide their glove across or they'll do a fist pump. Connor will do a fist pump on one skate, you know. But then, like, you get them into the room and, you know, the hockey dudes especially are taught, you know, no no one player is bigger than the team. And, you know, guys don't – you're not really supposed to have a big personality. And But then, you know, if you're out at a restaurant or at a house party, then they're in their natural environments and you'll experience their their big personalities. But get them in front of a camera? Nah. So it was always part of my mission to explore that. Certainly in hockey because, I mean, I grew up in Canada and the viewership was all Canadian. So the hockey stars – hockey players were the biggest stars. But I wanted to explore that also in baseball and in football and in basketball. And I – I was lucky, man. I was, I was very fortunate to get some great moments with, with some guys that people would otherwise think were like jerks based on the way that they played from Jose Bautista to Brad Marchand to um, trying to think who else. Some, I'm trying to think of players where, where athletes like, yo, I didn't think, I didn't know that guy was like, oh, I always thought that guy was a dick. Um, let me think. Um, trying to think of each sport. Oh, was there somebody in football who I changed their mind? Um, hmm. Is that something, you know, is that something that you uh, identified early on? If, Because, uh, if, I mean, like, you struck up uh, – uh, a, a pretty cool relationship with Kobe Bryant and Kobe Bryant at that time, I've heard you talk, you know, it was, it was during the time that he wasn't a fan favorite of some of the stuff going on. Yeah. That's not, is that something like you just kind of, whoops, I didn't realize that. Or because you, you talk about with Kobe Bryant in particular, uh, just talking to him like a human, like just, Hey man, what's going on. Right. And yeah. developed into what it did for you. Is that something that you just, kind of fell into and you just kept, like not the talking to him like a human but like you, you mentioned all the different sports and how uh different guys where they have like a negative viewpoint on them did you start approaching those guys off of that uh what happened with kobe like did that become a mindset of like hey like there's opportunity here there's guys that you know are getting kind of shit on so to speak maybe there's something there that uh, can change people's minds Well, the mindset was always, can I make this person laugh? Can I crack this person so that I can show that they're a human being and I can make this person, this athlete with this elite skill and this immense talent seem relatable to the audience in some way. So that was always the goal. Um, And I don't think I was consciously thinking I'm going to try to change the perception of this athlete. I just want to hear what they sound like laughing or I just want to have a moment where we're smiling about some memory or, or, um, or something about them that people didn't know that like the athlete might say, you know what? No one's ever asked me that. For example, 
I, I, I'm in Las Vegas. I live in Las Vegas now. And I really would love to do, so the first time I interviewed Dana White, and this is what I'm going to let you in on a secret here, Sean. One of, the, one of my disarming tactics is when I meet someone for the first time, I'll introduce myself and I'll always say I'm from Toronto. And the people I interview are generally Americans, generally. So Toronto could be a conversation point. Oh, have you been there? When was the last time you were there? And then I say, you know, I apologize if I ask you something you've already been asked. And to them, I'm just another interviewer. They don't really know who I am unless someone's prepped them like, oh, this is the guy who did A, A B, and C. So then now their expectation is low. So I set the bar low so that I, can, I can jump over it like I'm a fat high jumper. So well, let's set the bar at like 50 centimeters off the ground. <laughs> um, so with Dana White, I asked him, Dana, like, when was the first time you organized a fight? Was it in middle school or was it in high school? And then he goes, you know what? It was in high school. It was at Bishop Gorman. I was like, what was her name? He goes, you know, it wasn't over a girl. It was over something else, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, you know what? No one has ever asked me that before. And that, like, it felt like I got a start. It felt like I got a, uh, a power up in Super Mario Brothers. Like I got the green mushroom and I'm like, dude, I got a one up. Um, so now that I'm in Las Vegas and Dana White grew up, he went to high school in Las Vegas. He went to Bishop Gorman. I would love to do an interview with Dana White at the school and at the scene of where either he set up the fight or where the fight actually happened. For someone who is famous for uh, organizing fights and who's probably filled out, I mean, we're, we're about to be at UFC 254 with um, Justin Gaethje and Khabib uh, Nurmagomedov. So at least 254 UFC fight. I mean, I know they weren't there on day one. I mean, it was the Fertitas bought it at some point, but for all intents and purposes, this guy has probably organized 4,000 fights, undercards, all that kind of fight night, all those different brands. So it would be awesome to, to bring him there. And I don't, know if, I don't know if he's ever done an interview at his old high school. Maybe he has. Or, and I'm, I'm not sure if he's ever told the story of the first fight that he set up out, like on school property. That would be pretty cool. That is pretty cool. You know I've heard you talk about this too before. Uh, like, what are we been going now? Like 50 minutes. And it's just like A-lister after A-lister after A-lister after A-lister. Like these big giant, like it's super cool. As a guy that likes sitting across from people and hearing a bit about them and, and just kind of getting to see what they're like. And, you know, I, I get a lot of fun. And you're a name that gets to come on and it's one of the bigger names I've had on. And that's pretty cool. And the names you're dropping are like, giant but what you've said before is you uh there's more relief than pride in finishing segments because it's like okay that's done now it's on to the next one and i get that have you learned you know as you as you're on your journey and and all the things you're doing have you learned to maybe slow down a little bit on uh, and like be like man i just i just got dana white like that was that's pretty freaking cool you talk about dana white dana white's on my list like that'd be a lot of fun, but I oh, mean, that would be awesome. I mean, so have you learned to slow down a little bit? Um, being in in this new role at Bleacher Report has caused me to slow down because I'm not in the grind like I was at TSN and previously the Score, where every week I'd have to crank out a new um, interview. So I took pride, a lot of pride in my work, but I felt more relief when 
it, it would finally aired or we finished it and I could go home at 2.30 in the morning from a late night edit and be like, oh, okay, it's done. Um, versus sitting back and smelling the roses or, or admiring the work that I just did. Because I was always, Dave and I had always programmed ourselves to keep chasing. Because that's part of the thing is like Saturday Night Live, you know, maybe this is like a subconscious cue that we took from Lauren Michaels hearing this anecdotally at some point, not never meeting the man. But he said, um, we have a show every Saturday night at 1130. Um, it may not be ready, but we have a show every Saturday night at 1130. And that's kind of the thing in television. It's like, there are hard deadlines and you have to meet those deadlines. And like, even if the thing is at like 60%, something's got to air because there's a three minute block of space with Cabby Presents on there that we need to fill. Because if not, then you're going to put the other... 40 people that work on sports center in a bad spot and they can scramble and fill that hole, but it looks terrible on you. And I never, um, I mean, listen, there were some times when I didn't finish my piece or we had to wait on something. So, you know, the piece wasn't ready that week. That definitely happened for whatever circumstances, but it was never a good feeling. And, um, and you just can't do that very often. Like you have to deliver because that's what you signed up for. That's what you get paid to do. And it's part of the dream job. It's like, so, so to answer your question, um, in the past year, I've been able to smell the roses a little bit. But again, my brain is in like thinking about the shows that we are working on here on Bleach Report Betting. So it's every Tuesday, it's a show called Squad Ride. So we're talking about basketball and ba and then there's like, the baseball playoffs. So we're going to develop, you know, we'll change the squad ride from NBA playoffs to MLB playoffs. And then on Sundays, sorry, group chat on Tuesdays, Sundays, it's, it's a squad ride, which is predominantly football. Um, um, and then it's like, you know, the various machinations of like, what is a better, what will our betting audience enjoy? What are the games? Like, who can we focus on? You know, are we going to build a parlay? Are we just going to talk about totals? Like there's a bunch of different variables, but it's a different audience. And I don't get the one-on-one -on -one stuff as often, which I do miss. Um, but it was, it's certainly a grind, but it's, but it's highly rewarding when people reference an Aaron Rodgers interview or, you know, uh, a Sidney Crosby interview where he's laughing or, um, you know, being able to, you know, one time we, we, we made this map of America for Josh Donaldson and we, we, we made all these emojis and he put various emojis on different cities where he was playing in the schedule in like, like the weather pattern he was going to bring in that stadium based on the number of home runs he hits or the types of home runs. he. So it was like an umbrella. It was like a snowstorm. It was like wind. It was like a few drops of rain. It was like, uh, you know, it was uh, the thermometer because he was going to be heating up if you was, you know, they had a game in Texas, in Arlington, Texas or something. So when people reference some of those random things or, Will Ferrell is wearing a stethoscope and he's pressing it against my heart and listening to my heartbeat. And then he says, I can't hear anything. You're dead inside. Like that's a great moment for me. And hopefully the people who are watching who are spending time with it also think like, Oh yeah, that was cool. Or that was funny. Or actually laughed. 
the, the worst thing is like if they just don't react at all, which totally happens, Sean. And that's part of like the batting average in baseball. You, you fail 70% of the time and you're still going to the Hall of Fame. So because you get so many swings at the plate, you just hope that you hit a couple home runs. Uh, yeah, a couple of home runs a year, a lot of doubles, yeah, handful of triples, but you just hope that you have a, a half-decent batting average. Well, we're closing in on the end of this, so I want to hop into the Crude Master Final Five. Just five quick questions, long or short as you want to go. Okay. Uh, huge shout-out to Heath and Tracy McDonald, who uh, have been supporters of the podcast since it started. So the awesome. first one is, if you could party with one celeb, who are you taking? That is an outstanding question because I, that is an outstanding question. I would probably want to party with Eddie Murphy in like 1986. Oh, yeah. Before phones, nothing is recorded. The eighties are wild. The music's terrible, but it's, it is wild. And Eddie, you know, in the eighties was Arnold, Sylvester Stallone and Eddie were the three biggest movie stars. And then in music, you had Michael and Prince. And then in sports, you had, it was probably still Magic in 80, Magic and Bird and, well, no, baseball was probably bigger than basketball in the 80s. And in the 80s, 85, 86, the New York Mets. Oh my gosh, imagine partying with Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden. Oh my, in New York? I mean, I don't deal with the recreationals, but there'll be a lot of recreationals all over the hotel room. You know what I mean? So I'm gonna, so I'm gonna stick with my original one. Eddie in the mid to mid eighties would be amazing. Eddie party all the time. Yeah. Yes. That would be yes. Great song. That was our win in senior hockey. That was our win song for like. Was four. it? Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Shout out to Graham That's a Murray. Horrible song. Objectively <laughs> awful. But it was a it, it was a banger in like '86. It slapped, but objectively, it's a terrible song. If you could sit down with anyone to do a Cabbie presents, to do what we're doing, I know I've heard you talk about the Holy Trinity, and uh, for people who don't know the Holy Trinity, uh, for you it's Beckham, Jordan, and Woods, or the O squared, which is Obama and Oprah. And I don't know, maybe you've sat down with all these people uh, already. But who would you take? Who one person? You get to sit and pick their brain. Uh, oh, pick their brain. Okay, yeah, yeah. pick their brain. Um, well, I, well, then it would probably be uh, the 44th president of the United States would be Barack Obama. I would want it to be, God, like at a dinner, eating sushi or Mexican food, um, some little hole in the wall place, which would, would be impossible because he's the 44th president of the United States. So like, you can't go anywhere with this man unless we went to Laos or we went to Guatemala or, I mean, they don't have Mexican food in Guatemala, but okay, we went to like, you know, some small Oaxaca, Mexico or something like that, somewhere in the Andes mountains um, or the Aztecs, not the Andes. Um, because, so it would be Barack Obama because obviously we could talk about sports and we could talk about culture but we could talk about history, we could talk about science, and then I could just, if like he was drinking absinthe 
And like the, the, the truth serum was flowing through his body. I'd be like, Mr. Obama, tell me about the aliens. I want to know about the aliens. Like I need to know how many aliens are in vertical, clear vertical tubes immersed in some kind of steroid brine from like, you know, like feta cheese which is comes in like that, that white container with the blue lid, the Trey Stella brand. Like the aliens are in some kind of salt bath. I wanna know what they look like. Do they make sounds? Are they still alive? What does the room smell like? Did you get to touch any of like any of the, of their skin or, or like all those? I need to know, I need to know tactile things, smells. Uh, Sight, Tate. You were you were one of the ten thousand or hundred thousand, whatever it was. No, it was more than that on the Joe Rogan uh, Facebook page that we're going to storm Area Fifty One, weren't you? No, 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 no. <laughs> I I think they actually did it. I believe there was a there was a documentary on Vice that like interviewed like the organizer of that uh, of that whole experiment. But no, like you're going on to federal like federal American property. Are you mad? Like you are just giving them license to put red lasers on your back or on your head or your chest and inviting and done. them to blow holes through your body. Are you crazy? No chance. But if I, yeah, but if I could with President Obama, tell me about the aliens. You get to play, let's go to your acting passion. You get to play okay. one role. You can, you can have any role in any blockbuster film you ever wanted. What do you want? What's, okay. what's your, what's, what's your. That's awesome. Um, okay, so I would, I would, I, this movie hasn't been made yet. I would want to do a buddy comedy. Um, comedy's hard, but it's really rewarding if you watch it with an audience and they're reacting to all the things that you hope they react to. And also, like, buddy comedies have lines that transcend or lines that are, are um, that dialogue that lasts forever. Like, Let's go streaking or he's going to do one or once it hits your lips. And that's all from the same movie. That's all from old school. You know what I mean? So, um, old school is my jam. That was a right? great flick. I would love to do a buddy comedy. Is it cold <laughs> out there, Frank? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> oh my gosh. Like why, why in front of the kid? You can just say earmuffs. Why you just, and then you can say beat, boom, boom. Um, don't abuse it, Frank. What's that? Uh, don't abuse it, Frank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, oh God, you know who would be awesome? And I mean, obviously the, the heavyweights, Will, Will Smith, Will Ferrell, uh, Kevin Hart, who hasn't really done, who's never really done a great comedy. It'd be great to do like a great, like his first great comedy. But I would love to like, like Melissa McCarthy, is so hilarious to me. Like, what if we were, we were, she was my love interest. And then we were like on, I know she did a movie called Spy. I was going to say like a spy espionage movie. But I think she did one with Sandra Bullock already called Spy. So um, I'm not sure what the premise would be. Maybe we were, um, maybe we're bankers and we're like, we're, we're not whistleblowers, but we were like trying to pull off some huge kind of heist or whatever. And then there would just be all kinds of hijinks and the thing wouldn't go off. Like there's just like everything that could possibly go wrong would go wrong in this movie. But, um, and also Melissa McCarthy 
is one of the best at just cursing people out on camera. From bridesmaids to Tammy to Spy to Heat, like she is amazing. So that's probably who I go. I went a little bit off the board there, but she's iconic to me. Your final one then. Who had the most memorable hug? Because you love hugging guys. So who- oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great, that's, that's excellent. That is excellent. Um, oh, that's outstanding. You know, well, uh, God, it's hard to, it's, so it's going to be Michael Jordan because it was seven long seconds, but one B is Jennifer Aniston. And I, so I was in a, this press junket for the movie Horrible Bosses 2. And I think I just threw it out there at the beginning of the, like when I first sat down, hey, my name is Cabby Richards, I'm from Toronto. Um, and I mentioned something about a hug. I wish, I gotta see if I can find like the raw interview clip. I, I, it was never published like, but anyway, and I'm, trying, I'm not even sure if this part was on camera. I think it was just in our small talk at the beginning. Anyway, at the end of the interview, then we get up and we're like, I was like, are we doing this? She's like, we're doing this, get up. And then a hugger, like one, and I counted out one 1,000. Two one thousand, three one thousand. This is Jennifer Aniston, icon. Four one thousand, five one thousand, like fifty five. Still a smoke show. And then on the six one thousand, she gave me an extra squeeze. I was like, wow, this is this is what heaven feels like. So those two, those are two of my two of my most memorable hugs. But I mean, but um, you know, God, uh, God bless him, uh, Kobe Bean Bryant. Like the times where. I probably hugged that man 20, 30 times. Like I've hugged him when we weren't on camera and, but he never let me get like long hugs longer than three minutes. Cause then it would be like, come on cab. Like you would like, you would snap out of it. But every one of those where I, I, I very much, I very much cherish. Well, I really appreciate you hopping on with me. This has been a ton of fun. Thanks Sean. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, I look forward to to seeing what you have in store here in the future. I'm sure you got something up your sleeve for all for all of us. <laughs> well, hopefully it won't be as igno- uh, as obnoxious as I was before, and uh, but more importantly, hopefully the audience really responds to it and they dig it and they they still care about the stuff that I do. But so so thank you for mentioning it and thank you for having me. It was it was a lot of fun today. Hey folks, thanks again for joining us today. If you just stumble on the show and like what you hear, please click subscribe. Remember, every Monday and Wednesday, a new guest will be sitting down to share their story. The Sean Newman Podcast is available for free on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you find your podcast fix. Until next time.